I don't know if you're like me, you probably aren't in many senses of the word, but um, I'm not a massive TV guy. I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I just find it pretty boring and most stuff is rubbish. Anyone with me? Four. Okay, everyone else loves TV. That's all good. But the other day, there I was on the couch, just chilling out, flicking through the channels, guilty as charged. And I couldn't believe, it's like it didn't matter what channel I went to, I could not escape the barrage of terrible content. It's like, man, channel after channel, is this what people are making on purpose? Like on one channel, it was married at first sight. That's, who watches that? That was a test, you failed. <laughs> That's terrible, that show, my goodness. I flicked over and there was like a news channel and there had been a a car bombing in the Middle East and a handful of people had died. I'm like, man, that's terrible. You couldn't escape the the brokenness of the world that we're in. I thought maybe I'll get off TV and I'll jump on my phone to go to Facebook (laughs) because maybe that will produce something better. And I'm flicking through and I'm seeing there's friends that I know overseas who have been in COVID lockdowns for over a year straight. Now, we think we had it hard, and it was hard. I don't want to minimize anyone's challenge in that season, but they've been going for a year straight in lockdown, and they're complaining that their freedoms have been taken away. You know, it seems like every few months, our government is pushing through a new law in urgency uh, without a whole lot of public consultation, and as Christians, it can shake us up a little bit. We think, well, that's not in line with God's Word. And, and as I watch this thing on this TV channel, that horrific act is not in line with the nature of the God of the Bible. We, we think this is setting an ungodly precedence for our society. And if you're like me, we start to think, I wonder what the world's going to be like in five and 10, maybe 50 years. And yet for many of us, it doesn't fill our heart with hope. In fact, it just drains it. It can kind of feel like the world is getting worse, that society is becoming more ungodly and that our children are going to have to grow up in a more perverse society and generation. Now, yes, it's true. Healthcare is getting better. Life expectancy is longer. Technology connects us better. And scientific breakthrough is improving the quality of life. And yet it can still kind of feel like the things that matter most are slipping through our fingers. And there's nothing much we can do about it. And we fall into the trap of thinking that current culture Political policy and public sentiment are like the litmus test that let us in and tell us how God's going in the battle. It's like a report back from the battlefield to let us know how God is going. I mean, you know what I mean? Do you remember when they took the name of Jesus out of the prayer in Parliament? And, and a whole lot of Christians got really worked up over that. Now, I get it. I wish they kept the name of Jesus in the prayer in Parliament, but you had a whole lot of people going, man, the enemy is winning and God is losing. Now teachers are having to teach some pretty weird and challenging and perverse concepts in our schools. They're becoming required parts of the curriculum. And we can think, man, God, what's going on? I thought you were in control. The Muslim community are being highlighted and supported in the wake of the Christchurch attacks. And and so they should. But some Christians are saying, man, they're getting the limelight. They're advancing and Christians aren't. And it's really important that I remind you today, church, that although the specifics of what we face in our generation today are unique to us, none of this catches God out by surprise. God is not called out by any of this. In fact, a changing culture, a lost and wandering people, hearts being hardened towards God, Christians facing hardships for what they believe, this has been the constant cycle of humanity. And if this was the fullness of the story, if this was the complete narrative, you and I, we might actually have something to worry about. But culture doesn't give us insight into the battle. Culture just determines the state of our mission field. Culture doesn't give us insight into the battle. The battle's already won. 
Jesus already has victory on the cross. The culture that surrounds us simply gives us insight into the, the, the ground that's in front of us, the mission field that is in front of us. You know, when Jesus went to the cross conquering sin and death, and when he rose again three days later, that was the victory that humanity had been holding out for. That was the victory that would have made all the difference for every single one of us. The final chapter has been written. And you and I, perhaps you do, perhaps you don't, but we know how that story ends. And it's a happy ending for anybody that would accept that free gift of salvation by God's grace. See, culture can try to rewrite the narrative, but the Word of God unpacks it in great detail. Current culture will try to tell you that your belief in the God of the Bible is old-fashioned. It will try to tell you that you're fighting a losing battle. Current culture will try to tell you that it only gets harder from here on out, Christian. Current culture will challenge the very foundation that you stand on and tempt you to jump ship. Current culture will try to lead you with human wisdom that changes year in and year out. And yet you and I were called to build our life on the unchanging, unwavering, timeless, unshakable Word of God. A, a Word that never changes and that gives us great assurance. You know, in the face of a pandemic, in the face of a society that was seemingly turning their hearts away from God, we launched our online campus that reaches hundreds of people, both in New Zealand and across the world. We welcomed in the West Campus to be part of our family. That is like doubled in size and already reaching a whole bunch of brand new people, seeing people saved and baptized in West Auckland. It was just a couple of weeks ago that we had Encounter Youth Camp, which I explained about briefly. This was after a year of not having it, and the challenges that COVID brought was still the biggest and best encounter camp we have ever had. There were hundreds of young people from across all of our campuses and some other Elam churches in the North Island, hundreds of young people getting filled with the presence of God. In fact, there was one young man, Troy Watkins, Chantal's boy. I love that because he, he went to camp, quite a shy, quite a reserved young man, but he went to camp. He was filled with the presence of God. He got gifted with the gift of tongues, a heavenly language, and he felt bold enough to come up and get a crunchy and celebrate that with the church. Current culture will try to tell you that the church is dead, but it's never been more alive. God is doing stuff not only here in Papakura, but across all of our campuses and every church in our communities that God would call His own. God is not dead. God is very much alive. He's doing something, and it is our honor to be a part of it. I want us to take a quick look at John 16. John chapter 16, you've got Jesus explaining to his disciples in preparation as he prepares himself to go. He knows he's going to go through great hardship and leave, and he's speaking to his disciples, and he's uh, trying to explain to them that they're going to have to go through a season of sadness and challenge, but he's going to return and transform their sadness into joy. And so Jesus warns them, he's like, disciples, what you've got to understand is I'm going to go and you love me and you're for me and you're committed to me, but you're going to be surrounded by a whole bunch of people that are not. There's going to be a whole bunch of people around you that don't love Jesus like you do, that don't believe that I'm the Messiah like you do, and I need you to be prepared for that. And he finishes up that passage in John 16, verse 33. And he says, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He's saying, look, things are going to change. It's sometimes going to feel like you're not winning. Things aren't always going to make sense. He says, but don't, don't waver. Don't waver to the left or to the right. He's saying, keep your eyes fixed on me. He said, you don't need to be discouraged or dismayed. He says, I've already overcome the world, and that should bring you courage and peace. You know, the current state of the world is not a surprise to God. 
It's not too big for God, and it hasn't in any sense of the word derailed his plans for the earth or his call on his life, on your life. God doesn't remove us from a troubled world, but he calls us out and he gives us purpose within it. Now, you may be surrounded by a culture. In fact, you definitely are. Everywhere you go, go. I went English for a second. There is a culture. There is a culture here at church. There is a culture in your workplace, in your sports team, in your family. There is culture wherever you go. But you can be in a culture, but not of the culture. I'll give you an example. I play rugby. played rugby most of my life. I play for one of the local clubs, and uh, it's awesome, good fun, top of the table, whatever. But the <laughs> most of my team, in fact, all but I think three, maybe four, are not Christian guys, uh, great guys, but swear like a pack of sailors. Like it is left, right, and center. Now, I'm in that team. I play with them. I'm in that culture, but I am not submitted to that culture. I am in that team. I'm in that environment. I'm in that culture, but I do not conform to that culture. They may be like that, but I can be in it, but not of it. I can be in that, but I can still be different. And it's the same for you and I. We are very much in this world, but we are called to not be of this world. And, and Jesus continues to unpack this in the very next chapter, John 17. Um, this whole chapter is a prayer where Jesus is praying to the Father in heaven. So if you want to read the whole prayer, you can go and do that. It's the whole chapter, but we're going to pick up from verse 11. So Jesus praying to the Father in heaven. He says, now I am departing from the world. They, talking about his disciples, are staying in the world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Everyone say united. united. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. Judas. Now I am coming to you. I told them many times while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Church, I need to remind you this morning that there is no law change, no Facebook post, no protest, no curriculum change that presents any sense of a threat to the God of heaven. This is just humanity trying to do what they think is best in their own eyes. But you and I, we carry a confident hope and unwavering assurance. You and I have been given access to the final chapter and we know how the story ends. In a world that is shifting, in a culture that is changing, God gives us assurance in the shift. That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy from chapter, in chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, he says, This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Oh, you got to do something with it. He's like, you've been given a gift, but you got to fan it into flames. Don't just sit on it. It's been given to you on purpose. So get up, take action, go through growth track, get around great people, discover what it is, activate it, step out in faith, fan into flames the gift that God has given you. Then he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. So how do we do that? How do we live in this world, but not of it? 
How do we live a life of meaning and purpose while things seemingly slip away around us? When culture shifts, how do you and I remain firm? couple of thoughts for you this morning. The note should be in your app. You can take notes there if you like. The first thing is this. What do we need to do to remain firm? Number one, we need to know the truth of his word. We have to know the truth of his word. Jesus said this in Matthew 7 from verse 24. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though, rain, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is dumb and is foolish. He's being nice. You're foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. He's saying, why would you do that? Because when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You know, if there's one thing that current shifting culture can have us feeling, it's bombarded. It's like, man, it's coming from every direction. It doesn't matter who I talk to, what I watch, what I listen to, where I am, where I'm going. It feels like it's coming from every direction. It can have us feeling like that song from the group called Steelers Wheel. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. You know that song? Not bad, eh? Auditioning this Thursday, I'm in. <laughs> there's a reason I wasn't up earlier. It can feel like that, can't it? Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, and here I am stuck in the middle. You know what our culture needs? Is we need a generation of people that are willing to get back to the basics of simply reading and meditating on God's Word. Like good old-fashioned reading printed words off paper pages. Look, podcasts are great. Audio Bibles are an awesome addition. I use them too. Sermon videos, oh, they're so encouraging. But all of that is a secondary layer of getting into God's Word. Because we don't want to just know about God's Word. We don't want to just memorize the words that are in Scripture. We don't want to just know it, but we need to know it in our heart. Because when we build our life on science, on philosophy, on family traditions, on heritage, when you build your life on popular opinion and cultural norms, you are doing exactly what Jesus said not to do. You're building on sand. You're building on things that change with the times, that are always shifting and changing beneath our feet. And yet you and I are called to build our life on the unchanging Word of God. And here's the problem with building on sand is when you build on sand, it seems like a good idea. Oh, look what we've built. The sun's out. The, the sand is glistening. It's amazing. But it's when the rains come and it's when the torrents come and it's when the persecution and the temptation and the challenge and the ridicule and all of that stuff starts to come that our foundation begins to crumble away. But building your life on God's unchanging word gives us a sure foundation. You know, when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, the, the devil had the audacity to try and tempt and topple Jesus over with the Word of God. And this is where we get this, this glimpse that Jesus not only knew the Word, but He knew the Word in His heart. It wasn't just something that He was aware of, but He understood the heart of God's words that He was reading. While He was in the wilderness, the devil takes Jesus to the highest point of a temple in a vision, and He says this to him in Matthew 4, from verse 6 to 7. He says, If you are the Son of God, then jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, the scripture also says you must not test the Lord your God. I imagine Jesus being like, hey, don't you give me a half truth. 
I know God's word well enough to know the intent to which he, he meant when he said that. I know the heart of God when he said that he didn't mean to test him. So get out of here. He's like, I know what it says, but that's not what it meant. That's the difference between knowing God's word and knowing God's word. You can read it. And this is where so many Christians get so out of whack because they take a scripture and they go, that's what it says. It's like, yeah, but have you allowed scripture to interpret scripture? Have we taken it in its full concept? context to understand the heart of God. Do we know God's word like that? We should. We should be persevering to know God's word like that. I want to encourage you to pray a prayer and ask God for a fresh reverence of God's word. Come on, that we would read it with adoration and awe, that we would use God's instruction as our non-negotiable guide to choose to remain steadfast to his truth and promises. You know, I found that because over the years I've devoted myself to knowing God's word, because I've done that, I find it so much easier for God to prompt me and lead me throughout my day. You know, sometimes we say, well, God never speaks to me. And if you found yourself there, we've all found ourselves there, that's for sure. If you're finding yourself there, my question to you would be, if he did, if God did speak, would you know what it would sound like? Do you know what he would say? Do you know the tone that he would say it in? By getting into God's word, what I found is that it opens the vocabulary that I'm capable of hearing. God can prompt a scripture. He can give me a word. He can say something and I can test it and immediately go, yeah, that lines up with God's word or it doesn't. So I can decipher that way. And it allows me to hear God's voice clearer. And hearing God's voice and his guidance is what every Christian needs in a changing and shifting culture. Second thing is this, be a unified people. In John 16, where we read that Jesus was praying to the Father, one part there, it says, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. So that they would be united. See, when culture is shifting and things are changing around us, it is unity that brings us strength and influence. This starts firstly with us realizing that there is far more that unites us than there is that divides us. There is far more that brings us together than there is that tries to pull us apart. Whether you realize it or not, people are searching this world for stability. They are frantically looking around for people that carry peace, for people that carry hope. They're searching for people that are quick to forgive. They're searching for people around them that live for something bigger than themselves. The way that Christians in other churches speak about each other and treat one another is like a massive billboard for what it looks like to live a life for God. And that's why Jesus said in John 13, 35, he says, it is your love, talking to believers, it is your love for one another that will prove to the world that you're my disciples. You know, it can be so hard living in a world that doesn't recognize Jesus as the savior of the world. And the last thing that you and I need is more trouble heaped on us by us. We need to be quick to forgive. We need to forgive those around us. And maybe some people here today, you need to go and have a conversation. Maybe it's someone in this room. Maybe it's someone at home in your family. But God's love should unite us far stronger than anything that tries to keep us apart. We need to speak highly of other Christians in other churches. You know the saying, your mama probably said it to you. If you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. There are other churches in our community. There are other Christians that do things a bit different. That's all good. In fact, that's better that way. We need to speak highly of them or not speak of them at all. Because when they win, we win. Amen. You know what unity does? Unity communicates to the world that we have clarity. That's what it does. When we as the body of Christ, not just Elam Christian Center, but we as the body of Christ, love one another, speak highly of one another, support one another. When we have unity, it says to the world that we are a people who have clarity. 
And we don't have to agree on everything. That would be boring, right? But when we have unity, it means we mostly agree. It means that we know where we stand. It means that we are firm, stable, and immovable. That's attractive, and it draws people in. And we're working really hard to do that here at Elam Christian Center, Papakura. I know JP, our youth pastor, is connected with a whole bunch of the other youth pastors in the community to try and build a, a combined event together that would equip young people. It's not about Elam. It's not about the other church down the road, but it's about young people connecting with biblical community so that they could be encouraged and equipped to make a difference in their high schools. I know our food bank team have connected with the local Salvation Army so that if we run out of food, we can send our people to them to get food and vice versa. If they run out of food, they can send their visitors to us because we want our community to know that the Christian organizations in our community are banding together for the good of our community, that we are in this together. In a changing and shifting world, it's our unity and it's our stability that bring a safe haven and a place of refuge for people. Thirdly and finally, what we need to do in a changing and shifting culture is to continue making a difference. Continue making a difference. Look, the truth is this, right? Let's be real. If our work was done here as Christians, we'd be gone. Like there's a reason that we're still here. There is a reason that Jesus hasn't yet returned. If we were going to be gone and be taken, they would take Caleb Lowndes first. He's the holiest person in the room. He'd be, he'd be gone. But the reason that we're here is because there is still something to be done. God still has purpose for us. You know, every Sunday across all of our campuses, we are welcoming in new people who come searching for hope, and we connect them to the one that can provide it. Every Sunday across all of our campuses, we're leading people in a prayer that completely shifts their life and their eternity as they give their life to Jesus, and they're made brand new. This anti-God thing, it's a facade. It's a man-made attempt to try and prove to ourselves that we can do it on our own. But I've found that there is a deep hunger in the hearts of people for the things of God. LJ, you could join me on keys. That'd be awesome. And so you might ask, if the battle has already been won, why are we still fighting? Why are we still here? What is our current purpose? I think 2 Peter 3.9 unpacks that beautifully. Says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. I need to remind you today, church, you are not here to make up numbers. You are not here just to help form a crowd. Forming a crowd is the least of our interests. We don't want to build a big church. We want to build big people. The church will grow. Jesus said, I will build my church, but we want to build big people. That means that you have significance in this season. You know, you're not too old and you're not too young. That's often the thought that runs through our head. God doesn't make mistakes. He knows the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And so you are the exact age that you were meant to be on this very day. And so when God was considering our culture and our current political climate, He chose for you to be here at your exact age in this generation right now. And so you have significance in this season. This is why it's so important that if you haven't done it yet, you go through growth track starting in a couple of weeks because while it is not the full picture, it is the first step in you discovering why God would have you in this generation. And I want to declare over your life what was declared over Esther's life in the Bible. Perhaps you were appointed for such a time as this. Romans 10 from verse 14 says, But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? 
That is why the Scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. In a world that is changing and shifting, can I remind you that your hope doesn't have to change with it? In a culture that is shifting, God's Word remains constant and trustworthy. When it feels like things are slipping away, God is still in control. The culture we find ourselves in is not an indication on how this all ends up. Am I concerned about what I see? Yes, I am. Does it grieve my heart when people turn their hearts away from God? Of course it does. But am I afraid? Not even close. This is whole life is not this back and forth battle between God and the enemy where we don't know which way it's going to go. It's not like this big Marvel matchup where anybody could win. Jesus has already won the victory. He conquered the grave. He conquered death. And He bridged a way for you and I to truly know in intimacy the God who made us. It's that same God that gives us wisdom, strategy, boldness, and courage to keep making a difference in this world. That's why He has us here. 1 Corinthians 15, we are almost done. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the Scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you ever do for the Lord is useless. You know, for some of you here today, you've been living in fear and you don't know where you stand with God. He loves you. He made you. He created you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. This world can be a scary place to live in if we feel like God is distant. But one of God's names in the Bible is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, of love, of self-discipline or a sound mind. He is with you. He is for you. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. If you're here in this room, you feel like you've been living alone, disconnected from God, living in fear, living unsure about what to do in a changing world, God wants to give you assurance within the shift. It's a, it's a troubled world, but He calls us out and He gives us purpose within it. If you want to make your life right with God today, you don't need to do anything but accept that free gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it like I don't deserve it, but He offers it to you today, a free gift of salvation that makes you brand new, forgiven, and set on a path with purpose in Him.